Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. In this episode, I'm back with heralded business leader, best-selling author, renowned speaker, and top podcast host, Patrick Lencioni who I just find to be masterfully insightful regarding human behavior and performance, which is what we talked about in part one. Uh, And that's what he's most famous for and why he's one of the most influential people in the business world today. This is my values, motives, and habits episode. And you're about to hear Patrick's insight into his own behavior and performance and what drives him. A key perspective we land on is how he strives for success in his life. And he continues to work on being, as he says, peacefully detached from the outcomes of those success. And he shares a story about that. And we dig into this very attractive yet seemingly impossible endeavor. Also in the discussion, he shares his desire to conduct himself like the very earliest followers of Jesus and what that looks like, how he went awry in his closest relationships, thinking his job was to fix and serve at the sake of his own well-being. And sharing about his health and wellness routine, he divulges his early participation in running sports was due to childhood wounds he was trying to address. And I asked him about this, and he shared that he was terrified that if he was just mediocre, he'd go unnoticed in his family. He talks through this further and how it caused him to initially lead his life in a really defensive posture and what he did to work out of that perspective. In discussing work values, Patrick shares that in his experience, the most successful businesses, organizations, and families are really messy. And you can hear him explain this further as well. Uh, We then got into the concept again of being detached from the big outcomes of our life. And we end then with Patrick admitting he's trying to discover and engage with things that just give him some personal pleasure. It's part of his working out of this obligatory feeling of his life being just about service to others and forgetting about himself. I think we can all relate to a great degree. And if you missed part one of our discussion together, where we talked about his new book and assessment, The Six Types of Working Genius, you can find that book anywhere. It's it's selling like hotcakes right now. And you can take the assessment right away at workinggenius.com. I just got Tom Ziegler, uh, his assessment he shared with me, and we're going to talk about it for part three of our discussion around Patrick Lencioni. Hey, if you find value from this podcast, uh, it'd be great if you leave a review. Thank you to those of you who have left some recent reviews about the show. You can always find me and connect with me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Best thing you can do with this show is share what you heard. Talk about it further with someone else so you both benefit. Well, next up, business guru, all-around amazing guy, Patrick Lencioni, shares his personal values, motives, and habits. All right. I'm incredibly curious to walk through this uh, with you, Patrick, after having, and we, we talked, you know, with the reference point of work in part one. Now we did hit on a lot of personal stuff, but now to walk through and see how this is walking out in your personal life. And, and, and I've got some questions even culturally in some of these areas about where we're doing it right, wrong, how we can do it better as well. So 
starting off right off the right off the bat is spiritual and looking at the values you have spiritually and then yeah the motives and the habits how you're walking this out in your daily life and I'm grateful that from 4 years ago I still remember uh, some of yours uh, as far from a spiritual standpoint some of your habits but I'll it'll be interesting to see if things have evolved and changed a little bit well all I know is I don't remember what I said, and I'm sure they've evolved and changed. <laughs> okay. okay, go. Fair enough. Yeah. You ha- so where do you want me to start? Spiritual. So we have, t- I mean, you talked in part one that you are a follower of, of Jesus, and I know that your spiritual yes. values are a leading aspect, a pillar of your work, your life, your family, everything. Yeah. I mean, that, it's the core of who I am. It's the centerpiece. And um, though I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I'm messy and I'm, I'm a sinner, you know, I mess up sometimes and I forget and I, but that's that, I know that's who I am. Cause I, I'm known in my life now that no matter what happens, if I'm not spiritually whole, which means living my life in, I'm a follower of Jesus for Jesus, I'm not happy. And I've, I've been, I've been blessed to have success that didn't satisfy me to learn that lesson, which is super painful and so valuable. Yeah. You know, I've, I, I look at athletes and rock stars and CEOs who are not happy and who are, and I, I feel so bad for them because I know that there's only one thing that can make me happy. And, and, and I, I talk to people like, gosh, I have everything. Why am I not happy? And I, I try to share Jesus with them because for me and in my, the way I see things, he is the, he is everything. So to, to unpack that a little, I'm Catholic which means I grew up Catholic, but I'm Catholic now for a different reason. Um, I mean, it's rude. And that is because I want to be a follower of Jesus like the very first followers of Jesus. Hmm. You know, I, I want to do it like Peter and Paul and John and Luke and, 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 and the, the hundreds and hundreds of others that saw him and, and carried out his church whether it was being persecuted in Rome or sharing it with people around the world or, or, or taking it to people who'd never heard of him or living in, in community and loving each other. I, I want to do that. And, and what I love is like the Catholic mass and, and the sacraments came from the earliest, from the very first moments of Jesus departure, you know? And so, and I didn't know that growing up and I have so many wonderful friends of all different kinds of, persuasions and and a lot of friends that are evangelicals and Christians and stuff. And I've only in the last few years been able to share with them my own reason for being a Catholic Christian, which is that I've only learned recently in life that the mass and, and going to something called confession, reconciliation and other sacraments are so beautiful. And I didn't realize they came from the earliest days. (laughs) And, um, and, and my wife, I'm very blessed in that my wife, didn't grow up in a super spiritual family and she's she became a convert not because of me but in spite of me i like to say Mm -hmm. and in her spiritual awakening and growth i've learned a lot of things so i'm i talked to you last four years ago i'm a completely different person than i was four years ago i was a different person then than i was four years before that and i do hope that i'm a different person four years from now than i am now because the depth of this is just beyond anything I could have imagined when I was younger. From a habit standpoint, my memory, if, uh, and I didn't go back and listen to it, but that you attended mass every day. 
Yeah. And I, I went this morning and I went yesterday. I, I'm not at every day now. COVID was, was really oh, hard. Fair. And even I coming back from that got used to like, oh, okay. And, and I realize now that I try to go as often as I can, but I'm okay when I can't. I, I, we go on Sundays always, but like yesterday and today I got to go to mass in the morning. I love daily mass. It's very peaceful and calm. And, and when I bring my non-Catholic friends to daily mass, they're, they're always like, really, they love it because it's silent and contemplative and Sundays are distractions for me. There's too much going on. And I love going into a quiet, slightly dark room and praying and, and going to mass and contemplating the gospel and, and going through all that. Um, so for for me, that is big. I have to tell you, too, something else that's happened in my life, Kevin, in the last four years is that I've learned to use computer apps, phone apps. Yeah. And there's one that I love called Amen, and it's free. And every morning I listen to the daily readings and I, contempl- and I, I contemplate those. And then, like this morning, I turned it – while I was exercising, I turned on the rosary – and contemplated the life of Jesus through the rosary. But when somebody else reads it and I can listen, it's a lot easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of my personality, discipline is hard for me. I am not a disciplined person. Um, and so when there's like a structure that I can tap into and then they can kind of carry me, I'm more likely to stick to it. But like, I really um, push back against my own, like, oh, I have to do this today. I don't want to. So I turn on the app and it goes and I, and, and there I am. So, well, it's curious so. you say that. Cause I was going to ask in the spirit of six types of working genius that as you look at, so here you're saying I have spiritual values are high. I am going to walk out these daily habits in essence to practice them that we often, how often do we tend to say, okay, well, if you're going to, you know, have spiritual practice, this is what you do. You meditate, you devote, you read devotions, you do this X, Y, Z. And you're going, no, man, according to the working genius. So some of those are not going to fit you. Okay, go. Yeah. And you're setting yourself up for uh, failure and frustration. And there are people like there are monks and I have, I have these friends that are nuns and they go to, they, they wake up at five 30 every morning. And then they pray, and then they sing, and then they eat breakfast, and then they clean up after breakfast, and they pray again, and then they go do their, their charitable work, and then they get together at noon, and they pray, and they have a, a, a regimen. And, and I have learned to know that there are some regimens in life that I need, because if I just follow my nose every day, then I'm never going to do anything. But if it's overly regimented, then I'm going to be uh, working against the grain, and I need to wake up in the morning and let the Spirit guide me. But if I don't, if I only do that, <laughs> that's a good excuse for watching a lot of television or listening to podcasts. So I try to put just enough discipline, a few things in my life that I say, I'm going to try to do these things, but I'm going to give myself grace for not doing it at the same time or in the same way. And then that allows me to actually embrace the discipline without guilt. Because hmm. I am a believer that we all need to do things that we don't feel like doing. You know, you were an athlete. I was an athlete. If I only worked out when I felt like working out, I would never have been successful at it. Yeah. But there are some people that love that discipline and they, they, they get up there. There are people, friends of mine, they go, Oh yeah, I wake up and I go to mass at the same time every day. And I say this prayer every day and I do this. And I'm like, Oh, I think that would crush me. So it's interesting you, as you talk about that, because I think of myself as Mr. Spontaneity, man, I don't like confines. I don't like regiment. I don't like whatever. And yet if you look at my life, 
there's very consistent things that I do. And I've realized even as of late, when I get up in the morning, I sit down on the couch and I've got my coffee or tea looking out the window and go, I, I know I'm going to do the same thing that I did yesterday, but it's just that the, the, the telling piece of it or the saving grace is, but I don't have to. I can do whatever right. I want. And that's, that makes it all, even though I'm going to do the same thing I did yesterday for the most part in, in just the spirit behind it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Now, and I do know that there is a place in life for doing things sometimes because you don't want to. It's like True. In, in, sure. in Lent, you know, leading up to, uh, to Easter, we give things up. But you're giving that, like in, in a Catholic will say, I'm, I'm going to give up television or I'm going to give up doing this one thing. And it's meant to be hard, but it's not about sadomasochism. It's like, I'm going to show that that part of my life isn't as important as God. And in sacrificing that, I will become less attached to worldly things that aren't that important. But there's a place for worldly things that are fun. Yeah. I mean, I was just listening to, there's this podcast this is a great example. One of the top podcasts in the country right now, and has been for the last almost two years, is called The Bible in a Year. And there's this Catholic priest named Father Michael Schmitz. Oh, who I, know, to- I know his face, man. He's all, they talk about up on the charts. I wish my podcast was that big. It's amazing. Yeah. It is. And I've met him a couple of times, and he's really handsome, and he's really dynamic, and it's a really wonderful thing. But I know people that go, I'm going to listen to The Bible in a, in a year, and they listen every day. That would kill me. Yeah. So whenever I get in the car, I'll go. I'm going to listen to this. I listened to it today. And in it, he talked about wine because he was in the old Testament. He's, it says wine is good. It's, it gives you pleasure and it makes you joyful. And, but abusing that is not good. And so that's kind of that thing. It's like, we're meant to enjoy things in life, but just not get too attached to them. And so I don't want to get, so I don't want to just do things for fun. I want to make myself do things that I know are good for me. And every time I do, but if I overdo that, then like exercising, it's like nobody wants to exercise. And then the moment you start, you, you get through it. And then when you're done, you're always glad you did it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to take that approach to a few things in my life and have a few habits that are consistent. What wine is an interesting one. So my, my buddy Randy, what wine, coffee, whatever beverages, right. we like our beverages. Uh, and sometimes we'll fast from them, not because we feel we have a problem. His perspective that I've adopted is I just want to, I want to kind of audit my relationship with it. Make sure Perfect. that it's, that it's healthy and also probably just increase my appreciation for it. Fair enough. That's wisdom. That makes it easier. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. But I now, in, in spite of all this, I think the single most important thing I've been doing lately spiritually is when I wake up in the morning, I literally try to listen to try to talk to Jesus and listen to him tell me he loves me. Hmm. And like even yesterday, I laid there and I said, I'm going to let you hug me. I know this sounds so soft, you know, I mean, I mean, it's almost hard to admit this because people go, you're such a wimp, but I've had a hard time receiving the love of God in my life for a variety of reasons. I was going to ask what the catalyst was for that. Yeah. It's just like, I recognize that I was never good at receiving the love. I I felt like I was always supposed to be giving it. Hmm. And I need to know that when I wake up in the morning, he can go, you're good. Lay there, relax. I want to give you this opportunity to rest. And I want you to enjoy laying in bed resting. I'm here with you. Because all the discipline in the world without knowing his love doesn't really work. It doesn't make sense. So, so that's probably the most important thing I do. Okay, that's a great lead into relationships. That's the next one. So you're talking about a relationship with 
God. And you've talked about your family, but I'll let you define somewhat. If you look at relationships, what would you say? What are the values that rise to the surface? Well, it's funny that you say values because one of the things I've recently learned is I think through my life for a variety of reasons from my childhood, um, I felt responsible for fixing other people's problems and, and helping people unconditionally and and that that was my purpose in life. Mm-hmm. That if I didn't do that, I would feel bad and feel guilty. And I've, I realized that, that I was never putting the oxygen mask on myself. And I would get frustrated and resentful and then guilty and then keep trying to love to help people. And I realized that sometimes I need to accept that I, there are people who are not ready to be helped or that maybe I'm not called to help, that I can love them from a distance and not feel responsible for them. And, and that I need to be surrounded by people that share my values sometimes too. So they, so I can be fed. Yeah. And I, I wasn't good in the past at letting go of relationships that were not healthy for me because I felt a sense of duty and guilt. Yeah. And in the last few years, my life has changed significantly and I've been learned to be more gracious and more generous, truly generous with people that I don't, that I struggle with by actually putting people in my life that, that share my values and that, uh, that can feed me. I'm learning to, to, I'm learning to eat. I learned something recently, Kevin, that this is just like last week, a guy told me, you're not needy, you're hungry. And there's a difference. I was always fearful that I was a needy person. And he goes, there's a difference between being hungry and needy. And, okay, I'm going to use that as well. It kind of part one, we talked about the, um, I, I was talking about the things that make me curious. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful for waking up hungry is another word for, I, I continue yeah. to hunger for that as opposed to what you said. There's some things that you just kind of get satisfied with for a time or whatnot, yeah. but what are you continually hungry for? Not needy, but hungry. Okay. That's, that's powerful. And we are all hungry for, and we need to honor it, for being with people who see us, yeah. understand us, and and want what we have to offer. Yeah. I grew up, this is childhood stuff that I've only recently uncovered since I've talked to you last, but I did not grow up thinking that the things I hungered for were valid. I w- grew up thinking that the, my only purpose in life was to satisfy other people's needs. And I got pretty dang good at it. And it was, it led to a lot of stress. I'm, I'm going to ask, a, I'm curious. I mean, I, you know, I, we know each other like this, but I don't know yeah. your, your, I've not been a part of your personal life. Even in reading the book, The Six Types of Working Genius and the story form you have it in and how you talk about it and how you depict relationships that I'm going to guess you often put yourself in a leadership role but either you always have, or you've learned to, it looks like you, you seem like you have some tight teams around you that are not, there's much your peers and, and your mentors and guides as you are theirs. Oh that- yeah. In fact, I was talking about this with somebody else. I don't feel worthy to be, um, and, and rightly so this is true humility. I don't feel worthy to be superior to anybody else. Now that's the problem with that though, is when you're a leader, Sometimes you have to realize that your words and actions are really, really important. And so you have to assume that mantle. 
you have to take that role of my words and actions are very important to these people around me. But I never feel comfortable being in a position of authority. And I'm learning that there is a place for authority without superiority. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. It is. And I, I follow that. I don't like, I, I do tend to put myself in a leadership role, but I don't like authority. I don't like telling people what to do. I want them, of course, right. going back to my, our, our you and me, yeah. six type working genius. I don't want to direct people. Just there's it. You, you figured out direct yourself. And sometimes they want you to, well, you did that in the book. So I was curious about that. Cause you talked about in the book and you use the word exhort, which to me is kind of a spiritual term. I yeah. like it. I just think people don't know it though. I, the literal definition of exhort is strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. I like right. that from a like if you've got a pastor, I want one that's going to exhort, man. He's going to kind of tell it like it is. I don't like to do that, though. And in the book, you depict the main character, uh, Bull, as saying him realizing that he has to exhort people. And I thought it was interesting when one of his uh, higher up uh, teammates, I can't remember who it was, and she said, we like it when you do that. He's going, man, I don't like doing that, but we like it that, that there is that need to do it. But that's, yeah, a struggle relationally. Right. And, and for me... If I have complete trust with somebody, I know their heart is aligned with mine and our mission is aligned, I'm much more likely to do it. But hmm. if I'm, if I have people around me that don't actually buy into what we're doing and, um, and are questioning those things, then it's really hard for me to exhort them to do something that I know they kind of don't want to do. Cause yeah. then it feels like, then it feels like complicity. And I don't like to make people comply. I want to appeal to the greater good. Inspire them. Absolutely. I don't want to yes. enforce, com- I hate doing it with my kids. I don't like it at all. I know, I know. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I, you know what the other reading was in the Bible today <laughs> was spare, don't spare the rod essentially. But yeah. what they were saying was, is you have to discipline. Discipline is an act of love. And I knew that, but it was never an easy thing for me. Yeah. I think I, I received discipline more than love growing up. And so I grew up thinking, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And, and sometimes you can throw a little bit of the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. So I, I've learned that you need both. Yes. Well, it's always a good reminder. Man, health and wellness, Patrick, is uh, the next one. Tell me about the, the values you have around that. So, you know, I'm, I would say that I'm one of those people that's pretty good at this. But you go to the gym and you see that person who's just like crazy like this. And I always go, I'm not like that, but I like, I try to limit red meat. I work out five times a week. I don't overeat. I don't drink a lot of alcohol and I try to stay fit. And probably, you know, this is what's so frustrating in society. I'm probably one of those people that would say, yeah, you're probably in the top 10% of people in terms of how you take care of yourself. And then, and then you look at the BMI and it goes, but you're five pounds from being considered mildly obese. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so I was an athlete my whole life. The idea of not being athletic or in shape really bothers me. So I think I'm pretty, I, I, I work out. I try not to eat poorly. I try not to indulge in like overindulged dessert. I eat, but I eat too much candy. Candy, really? Okay. Like little snacky stuff. When I write, when I'm writing, I think that eating candy distracts me and allows me to think. So like popping good and plenties or I was going to ask good and plenty or, okay. <laughs> or Mike and Ike's in my mouth. Really? Gumballs. I love gumballs. So <laughs> interesting. That is, interesting. but I think I'm generally speaking, I think 
I feel like I'm not in very good shape. And everybody says, you look great. And I think, but I have to lose 10 pounds. <laughs> what was your sport? You talked about being an athlete. Well, I loved, okay. I ran track and cross country because of my wounds. Cause that's what earned me. Cause I knew that I could out, out, um, train other people and be great at it. Uh -huh. But I loved football and basketball and I, and I was really small and they put me in school really young. And, and so I was like the five foot two inch backup quarterback that when I got in the game, I did okay, but I couldn't really see what I was doing. I should yeah. never played football. I was like 105 pounds, but I loved basketball and I was a point guard. So if, if you'd asked me to go back and do it again, I'd play basketball only and lacrosse because my kids do that. And that oh. looks so fun. Oh, I would never have played football, but I did that because I, I grew up in like central California, which is like a little slice of Oklahoma and and football was everything, so I played that. And then I ran track and cross country because I, I needed recognition because I, I, I got to be really good at it. I was going to ask, you, this is the second time or third time you mentioned your wounds. Unpack that a little. Oh, yeah. I mean, I uh, – and so I'll, I'll be I, – I, for whatever reason, and it doesn't matter, and it's not woe is me. Other people had harder problems. All of our problems matter. I wasn't really interesting enough, like, noticed a lot in my family. For whatever reason, there was there's all kinds of reasons, and it had to do with their childhoods and their their parents' childhood and all that. But so I knew that the only way for me to actually get any sort of affirmation was if I was really, really an achiever. Wow! So I was terrified of mediocrity because it would mean I would I would be I would disappear. So I wow. I got straight A's, and not only A's, A pluses. It, I never left it to chance. And my friends would be like, why do you study so hard? And at the time, I didn't know I should have said, because I have a wound and I'm going to die if I don't. And every time I ran track or cross country, I'd get on the track or at the park where we ran. And it was like a near-death experience. It was like if I would run for my life, literally. I would run for my life. Huh. And so, and people would go, wow, you're great at that. So then I kept running for my life. And uh, I did that through college. And then I quit. I was going to say that it's a recipe for burnout. Yeah. Oh, my capacity to push through burnout was, was dangerous and not good. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> and people would say, well, but that's how you achieved. And it would be like, oh, no, no, don't ever, you know, that's not worth it. I, there's people that, that would love their children to be like Tiger Woods. I, feel, I have nothing but like, like empathy or sympathy for Tiger Woods. And, but there's people like, yeah, that's. Yeah, I know it's been tough, but hey, look at that. He's the best golfer ever and look, he's rich. And it's like, "Oh no, 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 no. You shouldn't wish and you shouldn't wish that on your worst enemy." So when people look at me and they say, "Well, you were successful and you were a good runner and you got good grades." It's like, "Yeah, you're right." But the price of that was so high in terms of stress and fear and terror. It's interesting that you say that. I there's a movie, uh you talk about Tiger Woods called King George with Will Smith and it's about the father of the the Williams but yeah. I didn't even I couldn't even watch it. I, I couldn't even watch it. I didn't it. either. Patrick, I no. didn't I didn't even I saw the premise and I thought I'm out. I don't I don't Because they were going to I I know they justified it. Yeah. Like well and look what it's done for them. And it's like, "Oh no, the 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 therapy and the healing that's required for them now. I don't envy them for a second. There's a You know like Go ahead. Oh. Well, like Aaron Rodgers and, you know, and 
I look at him right now and, and he actually used one of my books to, to, to help it turn around a team years ago. We didn't know him. And I, I love the way he plays, by the way. I think he's fantastic. Tom Brady right now, I feel I have such profound sadness for Tom Brady because, you know, his marriage is breaking up and his young family. Um, and, and I don't know all the story, of course, but he, he just can't leave football. He just can't leave football. And I have profound understanding of what it's like to walk away from your athletic career. I mean, I did it. I wasn't world-class, but I, when I did it, and I know when you probably did it, it was like, wow, that's such a big part of who I am. And right now, here's this guy who's 45. He's the greatest of all time, no doubt. And yet, he couldn't walk away for the sake of his family. And I don't have judgment or disdain for him. I have sympathy and sadness for him because it's a wound. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, the definition of him in how the world sees him, God sees him, his friends see him, was that it was defined by his success in playing a sport. Yeah. And that's a curse. You know, it's, I feel like it's a hard place to be. Uh, and there's other yeah. areas, but pro- professional athletics, which is what I am part of what I burn out on yeah. is the narcissistic focus on self, which I struggle with anyways. And, and that was like the hotbed for it. You've got to focus all on you. It's all about your performance. I mean, it is. And yet, uh, and I burn out on it one. And yet I still took a lot of those qualities that helped there. And I brought them into my personal life and they don't work there. Ah, exactly. Oh, that's a, that's a profound and frightening statement, but in a good way, frightening, because we all have that tendency is like, because when we're working out of our fears and our wounds to be successful, that's why Mother Teresa says, don't worry about success, just be faithful. Hmm. If we're doing it out of our wounds, then we start to see our wounds as actually the, the mechanism for our success. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm learning to go like, hold it lightly. And it's like, hey, if it goes away tomorrow, that's okay. You, oh, I, I need to tell you something, Kevin. I'm sorry I talk so much, but. That's why you're here. I, I'm, <laughs> you're here to talk. <laughs> okay. But I, this app, I have this, this app I listen to every morning where we, my wife and I listen to it and it's, they do the readings and then we talk and then they, t- they, they, they have you reflect on it. And for people that are listening to that going, I can't believe he does that. I don't do that. Well, I didn't do it for years and it was really hard. So when I downloaded this app, it takes five minutes and we do it in the morning. At the very end of it, the guy who reads the readings and prompts us through it says something that just is fantastic. He says, it's from Paul. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I listened to that and I said, wait a second, wait a second. You mean to tell me that God is giving me permission? In fact, he's telling me he really wants me to be rejoice no matter what happens, to keep praying always, and to be grateful for whatever happens to me. You mean he's saying, Pat, the circumstances of your life are not dictating whether you're joyful and grateful that's like my whole fear in my whole life was like, no, my circumstances dictated everything. My grades, how I did in that, on that race, how my team did, how pe- if I got elected student body president, if I had a, a prestigious job, that was what determined whether or not I was allowed to rejoice and be grateful. Hmm. And now, I, God, I hear God saying, no, I want you to, if, if something terrible happens to you, 
I want you to rejoice in that and be grateful. I'm giving you permission. Because really, that's better than winning the Super Bowl. Because it's guaranteed. Yeah. And in fact, when you think it's on the Super Bowl, then what happens is you win it. And like a drug addict, you go, oh, I need to do that again. Yeah, it's not seven Super Bowls. It's the eighth one that's going to get me there. And that's a recipe for you will never get there. And I learned that the hard way. Mental health is the next one. We were talk- I feel like that's all we've talked about um, is aspects of that. But when you, so you just saying that, that you learn that the hard way, everything's a danger. Everything's a temptation. There's a, we can always, you know, we can go just like we talked about a minute ago. Wine is awesome. Unless you abuse it, we have the ability. So when you, you seem very increasingly, you've become more self-aware and you've talked about some of that journey that as you wake up now, you have obviously a lot of, we don't want to use that word regimented, but consistent habits that you are doing to address your mental health. To some aspect, it feels like that is your kind of your, primary rudder of your day is looking at Patrick's mental health. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cause I wake up uh, for you for most of my life. I woke up scared. Hmm. Cause like every day was a day where I had to prove myself and, and ward off failure, mediocrity and misery. Wow. So, so I had to succeed. So every day was like, whoa, what's going on here? What do I have to do? So I was in a very defensive posture, like, what, what do I have to do well at? And so now I realize if I don't go to Jesus first and go, no, nope, you love me regardless. And then I don't do pray. And then I come to work and I try to pray when I'm at work and, and be and go, no, it's okay. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a, it really is like training. It doesn't happen overnight. Everybody, and you know, I think we all like, no matter where we are spiritually, we all kind of say, well, wouldn't it be great if we were like St. Paul who got knocked off his horse and Jesus said, hey, you know, why are you persecuting me? Like it was an overnight, um, and, but it wasn't overnight. He spent three years in the desert and he, they trained him and he, and he suffered and he learned. So we're all, it's all a constant um, process and every little step is good just today. And so I try to every day move a little closer. And so I don't wake up as scared as I used to. Mm. And I certainly don't feel like that I'm defined by what I achieve. But do I still have some of those muscle memories? Sure. Does that leak into sometimes how I manage my office or how I do it? Yeah, but I, I want to know it. I want others to call me out on it and go, hey, something's going on with you today. And I can go, oh, you're right. Yeah, I kind of slipped back into that thing. I was just going to ask, slip back. Where, where are your uh, weak spots or your dangers from a, you know, from a mental health standpoint that you'll, you'll start to slide if you don't watch out. It would be on the outside. It would look like impatience okay. and, 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 and angst, like frustration. And on the inside, it's, oh my gosh, if this doesn't go better, I'm going to feel really terrible. And all it takes is to go, wait a second, take a breath. You're not defined by this. You're okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. You know, that's where I am today is now I will tell you, though, I go see a guy, a counselor, a faith based counselor um, once a week. And after I went to him for a while, I thought I thought intellectually I understood what he was teaching me. And yet I'd come back and I he needed to remind me and we'd have to do some behavioral things. And I was just saying to him the other day, it's like, why do I forget the things you tell me? He goes, because it's not intellectual, it's behavioral. And. Anybody can understand it once and read a book, 
but it's another thing to actually start practicing it. So essentially he's like my coach where I go to him once a week and he, I practice, you know, feeling emotions that I'm uncomfortable with and not having to respond to those, not having to fix things, not Mm -hmm. having to, and it's unbelievable. Patrick, I'm reading a book right now. I'm, I'm, I just wrote that down, not intellectual, it's behavioral. And I'm reading a book right now and best I can paraphrase the essence of it. That's really just set me aback is how looking at personal struggles in essence with thoughts, with my thoughts on it is so much less effective than tuning into what are my feelings about? Oh, I, yeah, yes. I know. In, in my file, um, uh, my feel, how I talk about it with my buddy Randy is talking about my feelings or being in tune with them, resonating with my feelings. It's like asking me to talk German right now. I, yeah, I don't know how. I'm going to have to learn how. I th- yes, and and you can, and it's a wonderful thing. I used to think like, oh, how terrible! I'm 57 years old and I'm just learning this. But I'm, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm 57 years old and I'm still learning. And at least I'm learning now. I don't feel like, oh, it's too late. So, but what I'm learning is my thoughts were often what led me to want to fix things. So I didn't have to feel my feelings. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, if something Gosh. disappointing happens, it's okay to go, I feel sad. Yeah. But I would try to think my way through it and fix my way through it so I didn't actually feel it. And not even having the vernacular for it. So one of the books prescribed yeah. to me by my counselor is Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. So I can read through what she's now defined as 87 different emotions so I can think beyond the one of, well, I'm kind of angry. Well, let's probably some right. more. <laughs> okay, sad. Okay, that's two. We got 87. And it's it's a new language. Um, yeah. So, that, so there's a- Go ahead. I read a, wrote a book called, I, mean, I read a book, I didn't write it, called Be Healed huh. by, by a guy named Bob Schutz. And it's S-C-H-U-T-Z-T, I don't know, I'm talking about Be Healed, Bob Schutz. And um, it, it blew my mind. And I've had a chance to meet him since then. And he goes through, it's, it's spiritual. He's a Catholic guy, Christian guy, and it, which is fabulous because it's God, God wants us. Jesus said, be healed more, maybe more than anything else in the Bible. Fear not, be healed. But he, he actually categorizes the different kinds of wounds that people have. Oh. And, and he does it in a way. I love Charlie. He's like, okay, here's the seven kinds of wounds. Here's what people who have these wounds say to want themselves. Here's the vows they make. And here's the problems it causes in their life. And you're like, how come nobody showed this to me when I was 26? Yeah. Yeah. I'll check out <laughs> the book. Like, oh, it yeah. sounds fascinating. Be healed. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And the dude is the, the guy is one of the most gentle, holy, thoughtful person. He's gone through a lot of suffering in his life and it's crazy good. Next one's work, career, business. I mean, to look at the values. I mean, my gosh, you're known in an, you know, to a great degree. Uh, you're Patrick Lencioni, man. You are the guy who talks to business people and in the workforce and, and is talking about values. But so this is, this is key to who you're known as, who you are. How do you then look at yourself with your own work values? Well, we definitely try to eat our own dog food, if that's the saying, you know, at our company. We really do. And just yesterday, I did a podcast around messiness. Hmm. And success and mess go together. The, I, I, get, I have the opportunity to work with some amazing organizations that people think, like, they're the best company ever. And then you go there and you realize even the best ones are messy. 
And then you meet families. And it's worse because families project. They don't let people into their mess. You know, the, the Christmas card they send out doesn't show them, you know, yelling at each other, getting upset with each other. And, and when they have people over, they're on their best behavior, which is really a terrible thing. But that's why when you meet a great family and the parents say, oh, no, we have issues. We, we do this. We've made mistakes. You just go, oh, thank God. The very best families in the world are not the neatest and tidiest. They're messy, but they're healthy. Hmm. The best organizations are healthy, and that means they're messy. So we enter into the mess at my company and in my work. We embrace it. We, we, we have a range of emotions around that. We bring healing into it. We talk about life. And we talk about getting things done. We use the five dysfunctions of a team. We use the advantage. We use the working genius. We use all the stuff we practice. We, we preach. We practice, um, but in a messy way. So I try to live the stuff I teach, which can be really hard because when I fail, I feel pretty bad about myself. Yeah. When a company calls and says, yeah, we're doing this thing that you taught us like this, 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 and this. And I go, oh, man, we're not even using it like that. And so we talk about it at work and we're like, yeah, we should probably do that too. And, but let's not get down on ourselves. We're messy. I, yeah, there you, you're hitting on that tension that I often feel. Patrick was writing this book that, you know, I've got coming out, writing it and realizing, oh my gosh, I, I was really impressed with the amount of knowledge that I have and I could put out there for people's benefit <laughs> and fairly depressed as I looked and go, I'm not doing it. Yeah. That exists in here and I'm not, I'm not doing it. So for you to talk about eating your own dog food, man, being, writing a book, doing a podcast, being out there is, uh, is risky because yeah. Yes. Well, you know what I love about, and I want to encourage you, I'm going to say this. So, so God uses like, you know, it says in the Bible, we're strongest in our weakness. The reason why you wrote that book Deep down inside, you knew you weren't doing that, and you wanted to. And it was your desire to live that way that made you go, I want to share this. And so when you think like, oh, but I'm not doing it, and you feel bad, that's the evil one. You nailed it. That, that was the impetus of the book. It's called What Drives You? Because it was me coming to the realization of being so driven. I, it was Kevin. Who's Kevin? Man, he's driven. Didn't know where the hell he's driving. Uh, right. not, not, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't real clear on it. Now I was, I will say I was the saving grace to use that term again was that I did know my values. So thank goodness that I had some values that did, did keep me in check, but I was blown away by realizing at whatever age I was at the time, mid forties that I really had not been real clear. I'm just driving. I'm just going fast. I don't know where I'm going exactly, but I'm I'm going fast. We're making good time. Well, we're going to have to have some more talks off, 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 off the podcast because there's other things I'd like to share with you. I mean, I, I would share them with you now, but we'd go on for hours. But, but one of the things I came to realize when I went, I had that moment of truth in my, and it was in my 40s. And it wasn't like, oh, work life crisis. I mean, it was more than a midlife crisis. It was me realizing that the things I thought would make me happy weren't going to do that. Hmm. And what I came to realize was that it, I just lost my thought, but was that, um, because, oh, yeah, you know, here's one of the things. I realized that I was no different than an al- addict or some guy that cheated on his wife or, or gambled his family's money away. I, 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 I lost my judgment for those people because I realized we're all addicted to something in some way. And for me, it was success. And it was no different than being addicted to cocaine 
or to sex or to even though mine society would say, well, look, you're addicted to success. Tiger Woods wasn't initially addicted to women. It was he was hungry for affirmation. So he learned to be a great golfer. And then he had more. I want to be better. I want to be better. It was absolutely inevitable that that would lead to pain medication or women and other things. Because when our hearts have that big hole, we're looking for something to fill it. And so I remember when I first fell. And what I mean by fell is I got, I went to church one day and I came back from communion and I, I remember thinking, okay, God, am I ever going to give myself to you? Am I ever going to let go of these worldly things? And I'd listen to that gospel reading about the, the, the seeds on the, on the path. And I would always go, well, I'm, I'm the seeds that grow up in the thorns and the worldly cares choke it off. I never made it to the final stage where it grows it well. And I said, okay, God, it's now or never. I need to do this. And I honestly felt he said to me, are you sure? Do you know what you're going to have to go through to get there? And I was like, I, I can't, it doesn't matter. I, yes, I want to go there. And he allowed me to feel the desperation and the darkness. I felt as though I had cheated on my wife and on my children, lost all of our money, had a gambling addiction and a alcohol and drug addiction. I felt he gave me the same darkness of anyone who went through that without going through that. <clears throat> it was the greatest grace God ever gave me. He said, I am going to take you through the depths of despair, but without hurting the people around you. And I thought, oh, so it was my dark night of the soul. It was me bottoming out. And it was the greatest grace he gave me because he's and from that moment on, when I met somebody who did something horrible, I thought, oh, I'm no different than you. So I don't look at Tom Brady and go, yeah, what a dick. I look at him and go, oh, I feel for him. Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, um, anybody else, a guy that a guy that whose family breaks up because he cheated on his wife. I think, oh, how sad because he's looking for something to to make him whole and he's just looking in the wrong place. And so was I. But mine was success. And thank you, God, for not letting me hurt my wife and my children in the same way. I hurt them, but not in those ways. But I hurt them because I was pursuing things that I thought would make me happy that don't work. We might have to do another show on that because that's a rabbit hole, Patrick, that I, I ponder, I grapple with, uh, with myself and, and, and with others that we, we talk about it, one friend in particular, about can we die to self? Is that really possible in the way that we think about that? Because as you talked about with uh, addiction, especially my feeling has been as of late that I'm not going to kill my appetites. I'm probably not going to kill my addictions. The best I can do is elevate them to ones that are more life-giving than life-taking. But can I really die to them? Well, that's the thing. Oh, this is so great because really God doesn't want us to kill our appetites. He, want us to, he wants us to give them to him and let him. So, okay. so lately, like I've had some good things happen in my life lately, like, like the book coming out or other personal things. And I really am, I find great relief in giving it right back to God. Like somebody else said, that, that, this model you created has changed my life. I'm going to tell you something, Kevin. I used to get very troubled by that because I thought, what do I do with that? Like, so people would say, like, my whole life changed when I read one of your books and I did this and it changed my life. 
And that would actually be like hard for me to digest. And now I can go, that is so cool. Man, thank you, God, that you gave me gifts and you're letting me use them and that and you're you're helping other people through me, but I don't have to hold that or take it on because that's too heavy for me to carry because it's I didn't do it on my own. And I used to like feel like, oh, I had to put that in the bank and okay, I helped that person. I did this, or somebody complimented me, or I was on TV, or a famous person used my stuff. Like like um Aaron Rodgers got asked on ESPN or on like a, a journalist said, well, how did you turn your team around? He goes, you know, I read this book called the five dysfunctions of a team and I treated my team differently. And we went to that and they almost won the Super Bowl. And he goes, that, I, that's kind of what happened. And, wow. and, and in that moment, I'm like going, okay, what does that mean? What do I do with that? Do I need more of that? Do I need more people to know that? Do I need to meet this guy? Do I need to go to games with him? Do I need ESPN to do a story on me? Do I need to cash in on that? Do I need to, tell my friends who grew up with me about that? Do I need my, my parents to acknowledge that? And it's like, oh, no, I can just go, hey, that's, that's cool, God. You, you used me to do something, and hopefully that'll bring good things to them, and I can let it go. So holding it lightly and knowing that it all comes from God is a massive relief. It's not, it's not a like, oh, I'm so virtuous. It's like a massive relief to go wow, God, you did something there and you used me to do it. That's cool. Thank you. Done. Patrick, the book I was referencing a minute ago, I didn't name it. It's called Letting Go. Uh, oh, surrender is everything. Letting it's go. called The Pathway of Surrender. Uh, oh. So <laughs> that's the book. So you're, you're, uh, I'll, I'll put that on God repeating himself. For, oh, I just, I almost got tears in my eyes just now. Uh, thank you. Um, it, that word surrender was always the word that I thought, how do I do that? I, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different language word f- right. for me naturally. By, and by his grace, I'm learning to do that. And then I'll get tempted right again. Like, and then it's like, no, 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 don't go there. Don't do it. I, you know. I, that, that's interesting that you say that because I, have a, I struggle with that with every occurrence of going in my head. I'm learning now to think of myself. Kevin, you're thinking about how you can leverage it. Don't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, then I'm supposed to do something with this, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, it's great. If you're a business guy, how do you leverage that? that, that There's a place for that. Um, Right. But maybe coming back to what you said, if if you can abuse it, you can abuse it. Yes. And if you go, God, and, and if you literally go, can you show me what your will is, you know, willfulness, I think, Kevin, is the most dangerous thing in our society. And it's interesting because, like, there's other dangerous things like like drugs and alcohol and pornography and, and uh, too much money and greed. And we all know those things. But willfulness, which is really pride, is really at the heart of it, isn't it? Because we even teach our kids in school and in society, like, you choose your path. You do. Make yourself. We, he's self-made and he chose the, what he wanted to do. But what I realize is willfulness for me is saying, my will be done. And, and the, th- the funny thing is, is God's will for me is way better than anything that I could come up with. But if we think God's will is like, I want misery for you. I want you to work in your area of, non- of frustration. I want you to be alone. No, no. He actually wants us to have joy and have it to the fullest. And the only way to do that is to go, okay, your idea for my joy, I'm going to go with yours. Yeah. And he's like, well, I gave you some geniuses. I want you to use them. Yeah. But I want you to use them in a way that pleases 
me and brings goodness to others. And now that I don't have to figure it out on my own and I can wake up every day and go, what do you have for me today? When I wake up that way, life is wonderful. When I wake up and try to grind through it and create my own way, it never, ever, ever leaves me with peace. Yeah. So I'm not actually trying to convince people to adopt something super hard and self-destructive and denial. It's like, no, no, actually, the very best thing you can have is to let go. And I'm sure they did the thing in there, let go and let God, you know. Giving him the, you know, I mean, and, and, it, and there's cheesy ways to say this and it turns people off. But in the cheese, it's like, you know, what was that Carrie Underwood song? God, take the wheel, you know? Yeah. Jesus, just take the wheel, I think. Jesus, take the wheel. You you know, and you have me thinking, Patrick, back on your six types of working genius on the working competencies in regards to letting go. There have been some of those that I have done well with. I have, I was going to say adopted. I have strapped them onto my self-image and I found myself in better awareness, always a work in progress of going, what am I holding on to? Uh, so the opposite of letting go. So I'm reading and trying to learn uh, of letting go in general, but sometimes it's even hard to go, what, what, what do I let go of? What's what I'm holding on to. And man, it's so hard to see that for myself. I I, I can be so blind to what I'm holding on to because the world applauds it. A lot of times it it, it feels good. It gives you good results, but I'm holding on to it. And the term that I end up coming to is I imprison myself with it. I do it. I yes. imprison myself. It is a prison. Yeah. And and it's we have the key to it, but some we don't even can't even find the key anymore because we've been when we've been doing it for too long. And of course, God will help us. I, I want to tell you a story. Please. The other night I was watching football on TV, right? I couldn't believe it. There's a kicker for the San Diego Chargers. This is the coolest thing. So the Denver Broncos and the Chargers played, and and this this kicker, his name is Dustin Hopkins. I couldn't believe it. He he literally pulled a muscle in his leg at the beginning of the game and they won the game. Finally, he kicked four field goals. They scored 19 points. So he scored 12 of the, the 19 points and he pulled his muscle, but you can't find another kicker. So every time he kicks the ball, they'd show him and his, he'd grimace in pain and fall down. He couldn't even, he, he couldn't even plant his leg, you know, after and, and yet, and he made the winning field goal. They lift him off the ground and they interviewed him. And I loved, and, and it was the way he said what he said. It was what he said and the way he said it. And they said, oh, Dustin, you're the hero. And you, you, you pulled a muscle and you kept doing through. It was like the heroics of all heroics. It was so cool. And he smiled and he said very, very, very like sincerely. He's like, well, first of all, Lisa, the, the woman was Lisa. I, I, and he, has, he goes, I just want to thank Jesus because he's my Lord and Savior. And, and I want to thank him for everything. I'm going to get teary out here. And then, and then she said, Oh, that's great. But, and and so that's great. But, and so you, and he goes, wait, I want to say one other thing. I have so many blessings in my life that have nothing to do with football. And I'm so thankful for those. And then he goes, but you know, when, when you're on the team and you do win, it's kind of nice. It's kind of better to be on this side of it than the other side. And he put it in perspective and it clearly wasn't. And he was like, he didn't deny it. He said, yeah, it's really nice to be able to make the field goal and win the game. And it's better to be on this side than the other side sometimes. But, um, and then she said, do you know how long those field goals were? He goes, oh, no, I actually didn't know how long they were. And then she told him and he was like, oh, yeah, they felt like they were even further, you know. And, 
but he was so like peacefully detached from the outcome and he joyfully celebrated that they won. But first he made it clear like, well, this isn't the most important thing. And I'm so grateful for other things in my life that have nothing to do with this. And it was, I think the whole country, because I talked to other people were just like, oh my gosh, the fans were, were, were probably like, oh my gosh, this is more important to me than it is to him. I need to recheck my, you know, because there's fans that lose peace in their heart because their team didn't win. And here's the guy going, oh, yeah, but I'm really thankful for other things in my life. I was just like, you're, you're my favorite athlete now. Peacefully, Isn't that awesome? Peaceful, I wrote that peacefully detached from the outcome. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a different language. It's a yeah. different. And it's the only path because I've tried all the others. You know, I've tried them. Kevin and they didn't none of them have satisfied that's interesting I, I got inspired to go back to Ecclesiastes speaking of the Bible reading through there and Solomon and it's all vanity oh just vanity of vanities vanity of vanities the wisdom that's in there okay I'm 57 I've been doing the Bible in a year podcast and I only turn on some, and I'm like how come I didn't know that how come nobody told me this yeah yeah <laughs> Man, uh, it's hard to leave that one. Money, we don't have to leave it. Talking about these aspects of, uh, talking about an area we're attached to the outcome is money. Oh, yeah. So uh, money, finances, wealth. Um, I mean, you deal with a lot of people who have a lot of wealth. Um, and it's got to have influenced your own perspective on the values you have around. And, you know, for me, money, possessions, wealth. Tell me about yes. it. Well, and it's so interesting because it is, you know, the root of all, you know, there's seven deadly sins, but the, the one that's the root one is pride. So lust is rooted in pride. Like I can act on this. I can, I can, I can treat that person like an object of my lust because I am entitled to that. I pride and, and all of them are pride. Anger comes from pride and, and greed comes from pride. But it's really interesting when you think about money because Everybody knows there's diminishing marginal returns. I mean, my your your twelfth car cannot make you that much happier than your eleventh car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so when people pursue money, it's because they're pursuing something else and they think that that might work. And then when they realize that won't work, then they go to other things. And hopefully that'll turn them back to the only thing that really satisfies. But but sometimes it's for security. Sometimes it's because I don't ever want to be poor so then and sometimes it's for status like i i can't believe these athletes who are like bidding up their like every once in a while you see an athlete goes oh i don't care it's fine that's enough because but sometimes it's like but it, i want to compare to others and then some people want to have things like i, I want to have a big cool house because i want to be able to go bowling and go swimming and i mean i don't know what these right. people that have huge ones are so the question i think we have to ask ourselves is Okay, we know it doesn't work, but do we think that the things we get from the money is going to work? Do we think that the fame or the, the one-upsmanship is going to work? Or do we think that even the – and this is the one that's, I think, the most dangerous. The, the security it's going to give us is going to work. Like, And again, it goes to the Bible. The guy that said, hey, man, I have all this stuff. I'm going to build two grain silos, fill them up, put a hedge around it. I don't have to worry anymore. That's probably mine. I grew up relatively poor, and that's mine. It's like, I want to know that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. I don't want 
people to know how much money I have. I don't want to have all that nice of things. I just want to know I'm going to be okay. But even that is holding on to it's like, yeah, but fool, tomorrow your life is going to be demanded of you. And what good is that? So again, it's like, I think one of the, my favorite things that a friend of mine, Cody, who I work with, reminded me of is that it's our daily bread. You know, give us our daily bread. And Moses gave them just enough in the in the desert, you know, and he gave them manna. And if they tried to hoard it and keep it for the next day, it would go bad. Because they had to trust that every day they'd get enough. But I want my weekly bread, my monthly bread. I'd like to know what my bread is going to look like in a year. I'd like my 10-year bread. It's like, no, if you want that, be satisfied with your daily bread. Yeah. So. That's... It's big medicine. It is. And if anybody listening to this thinks that I wake up every day and remember all these things and don't stray from it and catch myself and kick myself in the butt, or then, then please, yeah. please know the difference. Because yeah. the worst thing is you can hear these things and go, oh, that guy's got it all figured out. I don't. No, it's figured out. And by the grace of God at age 57, a lot of this has been taught to me and I'm trying to remember it now. But man, I do not have it all. I'm as messy as the next guy. It comes back to what it'll, I think it'll just forever yes. blow me away is, is the knowledge that we can have, that we can see something we can resonate with and we can understand. Thank goodness. That's step one, but it may take eons or, or, or never to actually apply it, to actually in, have it ingrained, to be able to walk it out. It's a, it's another, it's another world. Uh, yeah. In business, we say that implementation science is way more important than decision science. Mm. But like media and academics likes to focus on decision science. Like, let's do a case study. What would be the right decision here to merge with that company or not? It's like, whoa, 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 wait. Either decision is going to fail if you don't know how to work as a team, if you don't have a healthy culture, if you don't commit to things and work hard at them. And yet we tend to look back and want to say, oh, yeah, they succeeded because they made this decision. And it's like, no, the implementation of that decision was way more important than just the X's yeah, and O's. The execution is what I think of so often. Yeah. Right. Which is not, as you know, by my working genius is, uh, I'm not, a, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about finishing a- enough with that. Well, let me ask you, you talked a couple of times, I think it was in part one about putting the mask on yourself, putting the oxygen mask on yourself. Uh, yeah. first I, you talked about it in this one too, I guess that your propensity was that you had to fix things to serve other people and not there. So let me do that one as a, a header for our last one here on interest, your personal interest and put this into self-care. Some of the things, I mean, a lot of what you've talked about here is self-care, but I also want to put in there the things that you do that just inspire you. What, what are some of the fun, what, what's Patrick do at play even? Well, it's a great question because I'm going to admit to you. That that was so dormant for so long, it's been a struggle for me. Mm. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I might, this guy I work with, this, this psychologist, he said, I want you to do stuff that you enjoy because I didn't, don't know how to do that. And he said, what do you enjoy? And I said, I, I don't even know anymore. So he said, no, let's talk about it. And I said, I love going to the movies. I, I just love going to the movies. And I remember my dad, God rest his soul, a good man. We were kind of poor and he was not given a lot. But he, I'd always go, I want to go to the movies. And he'd go, why do you want to go to the movies? And he might begrudgingly give me the money to go. And, and it was just never like, nobody ever said, hey, yeah. So I said, I really like going to the movies. And, uh, but my kids don't really like going to the movies because the new generation, they're like, why do I go to the movie? I can watch anything on my phone if I want or on my computer. Right. And my wife would always go like, no, nah, I don't really feel like it. 
So I said, and he goes, just go to the movies by yourself. And I was like, I'm cool with that. <laughs> so I, but every time I tried, she would go, she would feel bad and go, no, no, I'll go with you, but let's go next Thursday. I, I want to go with you. She just didn't like the idea of me going to the movies by myself. And so it was really hard to do it. And I still, I've struggled because, and then the other thing is I like to golf and I'm a bad golfer, but it's really fun. I love that I'm not great at something. And I really enjoy it, but it's hard to get people to go. It takes time. And so he, so I, he said, go to go, go golf by yourself. So I, one day I, I scheduled golf to go by myself and I swear I had a panic attack on the way to the golf course because hmm. I couldn't do something just because I wanted to do it. Wow. And, and so I talked to my wife about it. And I talked to him and I pushed through and I did it and I enjoyed it. I haven't done it since. <laughs> it's really hard for me. I got so used to putting on oxygen masks. I was just like, I'm going to put yours on. And what do you want to do? 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 I've really got, I've, I've, I'm really struggling right now, but I'm working on it. I am to find what gives me pleasure. Wow. Um, it's, it's like, and I've been assured by this guy. It's in there. I can. I know it's in there. You've got the muscle isn't dead, but it has been a real struggle to really identify and even follow through on um, what that is. So I, 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 I can't tell you a good answer. Oh, that's a, that's a great answer. I. Yeah. A lot of people will resonate with that. I. I won't. I won't go into my story, but that is something that I have pursued, and now. I have incredible joy in, I do getaways. I take off by myself in my van with my bike. Um, Oh, uh, tell me about that. Yeah. I, it's, it's a getaway. Again, we got a big family and I'm an introvert and I didn't honor that much. And now I'll do individual get, I'll go by myself in my van here in the Rockies. A lot of times I'll go to an event, do a running race or a mountain bike race or something, but by yourself, by myself. Which feels weird because as I mean, the end of my cycling career, I had kids and they were on the, you know, yelling, go daddy, whatever. And I'm there by myself and, and just almost like being not a different person, but to some degree, it's kind of like, man, this is, this is just me. This is just me. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll do that and I'll get good food and a great bottle of wine. And I've, I'll vacillate sometimes at a nice hotel room. Sometimes I sleep in my van out in the woods. And I've gotten so much joy. But what I want to tell you, Patrick, so my closest friend, uh, Randy, he does, he co-hosts some of the show, Dr. Randy James. He's a doc. Um, this is his medical practice that my, uh, my office is in, uh, my studio. And he finally did his first one. He's been, we've been talking about it for years and he just never did it. And he finally did. He went skiing by himself, got a hotel, wow. went skiing this last winter. And uh, it was a little bit like what you're talking about. It was, it was it was good, but it was so uncomfortable. It was so out of his, I mean, he's a doc. He's got family. All he does is pour out to us. That's what he does. He serves others. And it was uncomfortable. He talked about it. He said it was, it was, some was good. Some of it was just kind of uncomfortable. So he's going to, was it, un- was your first one uncomfortable? Was my first. Yeah. It felt guilty. It, it felt, it felt guilty. And I, and I also just didn't at that point, I had gone so long not doing it. I didn't really know what to do with just me. Even though I'm an right. introvert, I'm an introvert. I do like solitude. I do plenty of solitude stuff, but it's at home or at the office or whatever. But to be gone, like on a fun type of thing, um, it just, it was a little disconcer- disconcerting. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. All the things you said are the things I actually yearn for. Huh. I, ha- I, I have this fantasy and I, when I can't sleep at night, I think about like being all by myself in the middle of the forest in a, in a hut 
that has a nice bed in it. And I, I'll even go outside to go to the bathroom. I don't care. But I want to be by myself. And, and, so, and I feel guilty for that. I tell my wife that. Like, I just want to go be by myself and, like, have a good book or, or have my computer and write or, or do something. And I think that that's what I have to do. That, and and then, by the way, everyone around me would be glad if I did it. Again, Nobody is making me feel bad. And this is, a, I mean, we're kind of on a, on a tangent, but man, it's, it's gotten to be one that's so powerful to me too, because it's different. If you go solo to do a presentation somewhere and you're in a hotel and an airport or whatever, you're still doing the thing. Everybody knows that you're doing. It's got a purpose. So it's legit. if you go off into the cabin to write your book, you're writing your book, but to go on a two, three, five, whatever it is, daytime and just say, I'm just here to do whatever I, I want. We don't have a file for that. It is. It's again, no. we're kind of that different, like a different language or something. And it's been really interesting to watch myself. And I've had some mentors, uh, some that have inspired me in doing this. And now to see it as, um, as the benefit it is to where now my family will sometimes say, Hey daddy, would you go away? Uh, Cause you, <laughs> you come back happier. Well, and, and the truth is, I was just going to say, they all would like to, and they like mm. to, they would like to know I do that for myself. Mm. Like, I remember when I was a kid, you know, they say, they, parents go to play, go, what should we do for our kids? Especially like they're out of the house now, they're, they're in college or they're, it's like, work on your marriage because if your, your mm. kids take great joy out of knowing you have a good marriage. Mm. And, and, and my kids would love it if I went away and I came back and said, oh my gosh, I went fishing. It was so fun. They would be like, that is so cool that they, they're kind of bummed that I never do stuff for myself. Hmm. And so, so now maybe my guilt toward them for them being bummed might make me do it just to please them. Okay. Okay. okay <laughs> then let me share. This is, this is, this is your show. This is supposed to be about you, but let me talk about myself. No, oh, I, I love this. Well, just, just one that really floored me. This was yeah. probably six years ago, uh, Patrick. I, so I, I was, you know, a, a pro athlete, pro cyclist. And then I didn't compete. I just walked away, didn't do anything. And, um, at some point I had done some races or some running races or something, but I entered this duathlon and I invited my family. So it's Saturday, it's down in the Springs. It's, you know, 20 miles away or something. And I did have them come and I felt guilty. So my wife's out there, my, um, I think I might've had all seven, uh, of my initial kids, uh, at that point there. And I just felt kind of, it's Saturday. It was, you know, in the morning, it's kind of chilly. And I just felt kind of, you bad. felt needy. Yeah. Yeah. I felt needy and, and just like uh, narcissistic or whatever. So yeah. I do the race and, uh, and did well. I mean, my gosh, the last, we came into the, it, it ended with a run that came into the, uh, the track and you did a lap or two. And my little boy who was, I don't know, four years old is running alongside me yelling, daddy it was super cute. So that happens. Went to the awards thing afterwards because I think I placed in my category or something like that. But later on, one of my older kids who was probably late teens, mid to late teens at the time said, and I don't know, this is how I paraphrase it now and the impact that it had to me. She said, it's, it was so inspiring to me to see you do something that inspired you. Mm. I said, really? I felt kind of guilty having you guys, daddy, seeing you do something just for you that gave you so much joy. And it was just inspiring to me to want to do that. And, and then, and as time has gone on, my wife said the same thing and that it, it inspires her when I go do those things. Like, oh my gosh, it's just, I, I still feel kind of guilty. I'm going to go off and do this race just for me. And, and it inspires you. I, I, it's just not the, it's counterintuitive. You know what my saving grace is in this hmm. is that I, my work allows me, I, I really do love my work. Sure. 
And so this is my hobby. Like people say, when are you going to retire? I'm like, what, what would that mean? Just not getting paid to do the things I like to do. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so that's my saving grace. And you know, it's a really beautiful thing huh. is, you know, who's sitting in the room with me right now is one of my sons mm. who works here. Mm. And the fact that, and he's smarter than I am in many ways, he really, really is, but that he gets to see me being joyful. Yeah. I've coached his teams and, and done things for him, but he actually gets to be with me in my joy has been a wonderful thing. That's, and it, that's, it's like, yeah. and that's, that's so, so I do think I, I do get to experience some of that. Yeah. And, um, but I am going to, I'm going to tell you right now, and, and he's hearing this. So I, I'm going to do a go away trip by myself. Okay. I think I'll do two nights away. I think I could probably handle that. I'd love to hear and, about it and hear what you, what you either plan to do, or uh, I've gotten, you know, different strokes, but sometimes I I'll have some kind of an endeavor like a race, but then the rest of it, I'm not going to plan. And I'm going to do whatever I feel like right then. Exactly. And you know what else? I'm going to take his truck, my son's truck and sleep in it. Cause I, uh, the idea of just, just like, I've always wanted to just like make do. And you know, how often do we, do we get to do that? It, it so. made me feel like a kid and almost kind of made me feel kind of primal initially. I go in a, you know, yeah. I, I do love a, a, a fancy hotel. I got to admit that, but to yeah. just sleep in the back and go, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you get to feel like I'm too old to do that. I'm thinking I'm, I'm old enough. I can do whatever I want. And so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm that's pee fun. in the forest. The other day, my wife and I were in the garage late at night and, and I, and I said, I have to go to the bathroom and I walked toward the, the, the wrong door and she goes, the bathroom's in there. I said, no, no, the bathroom's out there. <laughs> and there's some, and I said, there's something about that. She's like, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> it, well, that one, I gotta, I gotta say, I re- we live out in, in the national forest. So about half the time, at least well during the summer, uh, most of the time, me and the boys, I say, man, let's spare the uh, septic system. Go pee in a tree. So there yeah, you go. We're doing fun. it for the septic system. Absolutely. I got a, I got a purpose. <laughs> man, Patrick, this has just been a joy. Um, to me too. I could have not had more fun if we were sitting uh, across from a table having uh, a beverage together, which we need to do at some point. Yes, I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. But I'll have to, before I come up to 8,000 or 9,000 feet, I'd have to uh, adjust because once I went up to Vail to give a speech and I almost passed out in the middle of it because I flew there and drove right up. Oh, yeah. And I almost passed out in the middle of the talk. It's so. Yeah, it's a bit of a change. Well, we'll make it, it happen. Hey, thank I you. I think you live in a more beautiful place. So that uh, sounds pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your heart, Patrick. Kevin, this has been a sheer joy. Well, again, friends, if you didn't hear part one in my discussion with Patrick Lencioni, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, it'll be just previous to this show. And his new book, The Six Types of Working Genius, you can find anywhere. And again, take that assessment. Uh, it's just profound. I've again got my family taking it, friends. It's workinggenius.com. It's just significant for showing you where you are going to be most inspired in your work. And then, of course, the idea is how can you get yourself doing that more than any of the other aspects you don't enjoy so much you aren't as good at. Hey, thank you again for choosing to turn into the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value, it's always a gift to us and others to leave a review. Best thing you can do is just continue the discussion. Think about it, ponder it, grapple with it, and talk about it with someone else so you both benefit more. Hey, today I hope, sincerely, I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.